spread love. Doom, doom, doom. Spread love. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to POV with Kristen Gilmore, where I interview interesting people that you and I are getting to know together. This podcast was created to enlighten, enrich, and inform. The basis is to spread love and extend God's grace to yourself and others. Hello, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of POV with Kristen Gilmore. Today, I have a beautiful guest with me. Her name is Zola Kendi. You and I are meeting her for the very first time, and I am excited to say that she is so warm just off of our first couple of minutes of conversation. Zola, thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. So Zola, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I'm from North Carolina. I grew up in the 60s, 70s, and young, young woman in the 80s. I, um, I guess I can tell you that story. I went to school in North Carolina. I went to college in Atlanta for, a, for three semesters, transferred to Ohio State, and then I moved to New York after college. There, I studied journalism initially, and then sort of migrated to theater. And when I came to New York, I, um, I did quite a bit of theater. I did some off-Broadway plays and tours. I toured uh, Europe with a musical called Hair. And there I sort of fell in love with Europe. And I had a few European connections in New York. And one of my friends, we had been dancing at Ailey's. We're not with the company, but we took classes like religiously. I was a a dance fanatic. And um, she was Swiss, is Swiss. And uh, she she, she was an au pair working for a family here. She didn't like the family. I said, hey, come stay with me. Long story short, um, uh, my former husband came to New York from Switzerland as well, and they were friends in in Switzerland, and he visited her, and I met him. We got to know each other and became um, entangled, as uh, Jada Pinkett would say. (laughs) (laughs) And we we got married. I moved to Switzerland. I had my children. I stayed there for 29 years and I moved back. We, we divorced uh, after about 12 years and I had a huge music life there and moved back to New York in 2014. Since I've been here, I have uh, done a bit of music, but mostly music education. I worked as a teaching artist. I worked for Harlem School of the Arts as a voice teacher for half a year until I, <clears throat> I really needed something solid. So I went to Lehman College and did a second master's in music education. And now I'm teaching in the public schools in Greenberg School, Central School District in Westchester as a music teacher. Wow, Zola. <laughs> <laughs> Zola, you took me on a roller coaster of life that I could not stop smiling from listening to. I don't even know where to start with you. I'm so excited. First of all, I didn't know you were an artist. Well, I knew nothing about you besides I have a friend. We have a mutual friend who told me you were interesting and fascinating. And boy, did she tell the truth. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> One, 
29 years in Switzerland. Yes. <clears throat> yes, I did live 29 years in Switzerland. An artist from I'm your singer. soul. Yeah. A yeah. singer. When did you know? When did you know that that, that was your path and your passion? I, I knew it as a very, very little girl. When I was, we were eight, were eight uh, children, and my mother was like the little old lady who lived in the shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. So when I was about eight months, she had a 22-year-old half-sister that had no children. She saw me, and, you know, that was back in the day. Maybe they still do that. But back in the day, if you had a lot of kids, you could easily give one to your sister. So she gave me to her. And she lived in New Jersey and she was Pentecostal, you know, holding this Bible thumping, baptized down, you know, went down to the water. That's how I was raised. Yes. So I was singing as a very little girl, you know, really heavy gospel. Uh, you know, all of the kids sang, we all sang solos. And I didn't know that it was anything um, until um, I got to school and all the teachers would ask me to join the choir or to sing this and that and the other thing. Because in the church, everybody sings, you know, and, you know, some of us get solos and some of us get solos more often. Anyway, uh, I uh, it, it wasn't church kind of singing that I wanted to do you know I fell in love with Motown and and the funk stuff and Chaka Khan and things back in the day and I was a little shy about it because you know the southerners are very very harsh when it comes to singing black folks in general Mm -hmm. you can't just sing you got to sing that's right and if you don't sing you know you're like what are you doing opening your mouth that was a journey as well you know because you you can sing and you can sing in the church but then you know you have to polish everything uh, I didn't sing a, for a long time after I was a kid, um, but then, but I still had that, you know, that it was, it's in me that the, the way that you sing, the style, I guess. Yeah, I, I got back into it and realized, you know, that uh, I needed to polish it a bit, yeah. you know, get the tuning tuned up and actually study music because sometimes you can get lost if you don't really music is um, not as easy as people think right especially if you're singing with a band or a lot of instruments an orchestra or choir and things like this you have to know where you are you have to you have to know the music and so it helped a lot that I studied music mm, that's wonderful mm-hmm. I, I heard you say that um and you remind me I've, I've heard this story before um when moms or parents have a lot of children and they leave a child to be raised by a relative. And so did you say that that was your story? Like your mom, you were raised by your aunt? Yes. So I was raised by my aunt from the time I was about six months old until I was three. And then I came back, but I went to my aunt's every summer and that was, she lived in New Jersey and I, I, we lived in North Carolina. She brought me back when I was three, but I had sung in the church, um, you know, and I would go and sing in the church every summer. And then because my family in North Carolina is Catholic, which is strange, um, <laughs> when I would go to Jersey, my aunt, she, she became sort of intimidated because she was Pentecostal. And she would say, are you sure you want to come in the church? I'm like, yeah, I've been coming all, you know, all the time. I was raised by her for quite a bit of the time. And then I went to school there again for uh, one semester when I was in junior high, but it was too late because I was from the South and the Jersey kids were a lot faster, a lot 
for me a lot meaner and a lot, you know, a lot tougher. So it, it, I didn't, I wasn't comfortable there as a teenager. Yeah, I can understand that. From having those kinds of experiences, where where would you find your fondest childhood memory? Would you find it in North Carolina or would you find it in Jersey? Oh, definitely North Carolina because yeah. when we were eight kids, you know, it was his home. My aunt eventually had her own children and I'm very close to them. I mean, I, when I see her, I get a mother feeling as I get in and I get a sibling feeling with her children. They were actually mm-hmm. my cousins, but, you know, mm-hmm. so there, it, there's still something there that's really, really deep. Yeah. But I, you know, the South for a child is uncomparable. Tell me about that. How is it uncomparable as a child, the South? Um, you know, because we had a lot of freedom. We would mm-hmm. leave the house in the summer and go to church. You know, we did a lot of, most of our activities were done uh, through the church. Um, you know, and it, it wasn't all religious. It was, uh, it was very social. Mm-hmm. And we would, we we could walk to the church. The walk was, you know, down the hill, up the hill, down the hill. It's long southern walk. I, I didn't grow up in the country. It's all very urban, southern urban. We would be there all day. But as very young children, though, and even though it was sort of southern urban, back in the 60s and the 70s, uh, there was a lot of, still a lot of trees and forests and we could hang out in the forest and jump over the branches and collect, you know, sticks and throw rocks and make hopscotch and, you know, a lot of, um, and we could do it all day without any type of supervision. We, we just had to go home to be home in time for lunch or we would go swimming to the swimming pool. We walked the swimming pool. The, hour, the walk was about an hour away. As, as I said, urban paved streets and cars and the whole nine but, you know, not very populated either. Um, but we had that kind of freedom. We would go swimming. We would swim all day. We would come back home in time for dinner. You know, that was a southern. It was very, you know, we had to be very independent. We were always three girls or four girls and my brother or something like that. So it's not as if we were alone, but we were still, you know, unsupervised by an adult. I I think it was glorious. I don't know kids that have that. My mother visited me in Switzerland when I had my son and we were walking and Switzerland is a little similar. And he was walking a bit step behind us. And my mother's like, where's that baby? I said, he's right there. She said, grab him by the hand. Because, you know, um, she's, you know, folks don't let kids walk alone anymore. Yeah, it's a different world uh, that we live in from when, you know, when we were growing up or I remember grandma's house and I remember the freedom of going up the road or going to the corner store and, you know, going to get this for grandma or other things like that. And yeah, it's nowadays, it seems like the world has gotten a little crueler. Um, So I guess I can understand the protection, but I love that you had that freedom. Do you think that freedom that you had growing up in a, as a child made it where you said yes to a lot of things because that's what I'm hearing. You said yes to college in Atlanta and then and you studied journalism and then you said yes to transitioning into theater and, and going to a, Ohio, a school in Ohio to the tours, to, to, to meeting a man and saying, okay, let's do this. Where do you 
Do you know a point where that kind of started to become alive in you, where you're around a lot of people who live their lives that way? And if you weren't, what made you become that person? Um, No, I don't think that I knew people that lived uh, their lives that way because, you know, I wasn't the only one with that freedom. Um, You know, we were all free to roam as kids. I would say a large percentage of our of folks stay home, you know, which is which is a great thing because you know you know everyone, you can build a business, you can you don't have to network as, as hard and prove yourself. I think it came from uh, role models like my aunt, she would talk to me. She was a young woman when I met her, you know, when she took me, she was in her early, early 20s. And when I would visit in the summer, I was her confidant. She would tell me about ex-boyfriends and she once dated one of the Delphonics. And, you know, so this was like, it just blew my mind. And she would take me to places uh, with these stories. And I had a fifth grade teacher as well, um, who also reminded me a lot of my aunt. She, and somehow took me under her wing and, um, she insisted that I, she, when I told her I wanted to be in, in the entertainment business, she was really disappointed because she said, you should be a politician. But um, also she would tell me all these things about that were going on in the world and, you know, how we are. Yeah, it just really also blow my head up with a lot of very interesting and positive and encouraging things and motivating things. And I think I got my, um, my liking for adventure from my role models. And how old were you when you were, when they were telling you these stories and placing these possibilities in your head? Well, with my aunt, I was seven. Mm. It was when I was seven and onward, you know, each time I would visit her in the uh, summer, you know, she'd also had her kids. And when we would put the kids to bed, she would get some pizza and Coke and, you know, relax and and talk about days gone by. And I would, you know, me, I would say, well, why don't you do that now? You know, and I didn't get it. Now I do, you know, of course you have a free children time. You have, and then you have the children and, you know, there's a time in life when you, you can't be as adventurous. Yeah. Uh, and then I was in fifth grade as I said, with my teacher. And then somehow I also just, I, you know, once you're in a, in a field, in the arts, you have a lot of artists around and artists are kind of like me, I find, you know, they are bubbly and adventurous and they will get on a plane and go on tour in Europe or, you know, marry someone who's uh, not similar to themselves. Yeah. How about that? How was that adjustment to, um, to marrying someone who is from Switzerland? And I don't know, is your husband, was your husband, or are you all still married? Is he? He's Swiss. He's Swiss. Okay. Yeah. So he's Swiss. Okay, great. So when you met him, how did that, did you ever find yourself attracted to men of all nationalities or was this something totally new? Um, well, when I was in Atlanta, I, there was a guy there. Uh, he was Native American Indian and he was the only kind of white looking person on our campus. And he had um, gotten a football scholarship. He came from California. And, um, you know, I dated a lot, a lot. You know how college is, you know, you kind of like, you get, it's really easy to date because everyone is on the same age. So you get a whole pool full of folk. So I had had a few dates and, you know, 
and then he showed interest and we started to date a bit. Oh my goodness. I mean, I liked him, but I had to tell him that I couldn't see him anymore. Why so? The guys on the campus were not having it. Okay. Oh man, they would come up to the table with uh, comments. I won't even repeat, but it was, gotcha. it was like, you know, we're in Atlanta mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm, you know, thinking that, you know, maybe I'm going to hang out a little bit with this Native American guy. Uh, no, it wasn't possible. And, you know, I really hurt his feelings. It's one of my regrets. I feel, you know, I didn't handle it well. I, I told him, look, I, I can't. Yeah. And yeah. so that was one. And then, um, Actually, you know, I think my husband, you know, he is the only um, other person of he because, of course, living in Switzerland, once we split, I dated other Swiss guys because there are no black guys. There's some, but they're all married to Swiss women. But he my my um, ex-husband is, uh, you know, he's played salsa. He was in New York. He lived in Cuba for a while. He's speak Spanish like a, like a Cuban. He thinks that he's Cuban. He's, you know, he's a kind of a, a guy that um, is attracted to women of color. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it was, it was really uh, interesting and, um, and a lot of fun because I wasn't familiar with the Cuban music, with, with Latin music or the whole Santeria or all these interesting things that, um, so he opened, and plus he was Swiss, you know, so there was this, introduction to Cuba and uh, just Latin uh, Afro-Cuban music. And then there was an introduction to Europe, to Switzerland. Mm-hmm. I went to Cuba when, you know, you weren't supposed to go. Now it doesn't, well, I think Trump closed it up again, but it was really interesting. So I want to hear about that. But before we get there, I want to tell me about your adjustment to Switzerland from the States and how long did it take to adjust and what were the differences that stood out for you? Um, okay, I had been to Europe. I'd been in Europe for half a year. Remember, I told you I toured That's with right. hair. So yeah. we had been all over. We had been, especially to the German-speaking part of Europe. We were in Germany for about three months. We also did a few uh, shows in Switzerland, and then we went to Paris, and I think we went down to Madrid and a few other places. So I had been in Europe. Not long before I moved. Okay. Because I recently come from Europe and um, he and I dated for about a year and a half before I moved over there. So I had been there to visit his family. Mm-hmm. We had spent a bit of time there. Um, and I, I was, you know, like I said, I'm from North Carolina and I was living in New York at the time. And I had been living in New York for six years and I was really ready to get out of New York. Yeah. It just didn't, it, it didn't. I was done. I was a Southerner. I'm not, I wasn't really a city girl. And so we moved there. And, um, you know, of course there were, when I was there and that was in the um, mid to late eighties, there were few black people. I mean, I, if I would walk in the train station, you know, the whole, you know, people would turn around and look, it's not like that anymore because um, it's, you know, people, there's just a lot, lot more people of color. Um, so there was this novelty, this interest, this curiosity, especially being an African-American, you know, um, for them, it was really holiday and, um, you know, Cassandra Wilson and, you know, something exciting and someone 
Yeah, not only. I mean, I had my share of racism, I'm not going to lie, but they don't have a slave history. So there's a different type of dynamic. It's very interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They actually don't have Black history. They don't have Black people in their history. They do now because of the Africans that have migrated to, to um, Western Europe and Central Europe. But when I came, they didn't. Mm. Interesting. And what about your children? Did they um, find it easy to adjust? I mean, I guess that's the world they've known. That's the world they grew up in. Were they born yeah. in Switzerland? Yeah, they're Swiss children. They're there now. That's their home. Um, they wouldn't, you know, I've tried to convince them to move here because, of course, I miss them. Um, I, my youngest son lived here for two years with my sister for a while and then with a friend of mine that has a brownstone in um, Harlem. And my oldest son lived with my brother in um, Sacramento for like half a year. But they both went back to Switzerland. They went, both went back home. They're both there now. I can understand. Um, home is where the heart is. And so I can totally get that. Do you think you'll ever return or is this home for you? Oh, yes, I will definitely return. Mm, very nice to hear. You know, I've never been to Switzerland. You're making me want to go and visit. Oh, you have to go. It's really cool. There's a lot of music. I did a lot of music. And, you know, they're like major artists there. I was able to probably, I work with major artists that needed singers when they came to Switzerland. And, you know, there's a lot of work, a lot of jazz, a lot of everything. And pay is very good too. I was shocked when I came back from New York. Really? So they appreciate and value artists, so they pay you a living wage. <laughs> they pay you a living wage. You can definitely live. Remarkable. Wow. Well, we can take some lessons from um, Switzerland when it comes to that and appreciating artists. That's Are you an artist? I am. I'm just like you. I'm a a singer first and then well, I'd say I'm, I'm an actress first. I'm a singer second and I'm a mover, not a Alvin Ailey class taking dancer. Well, um, you know, that was back, back in the day. I don't know what I can do now. <laughs> well, I mean, the fact that you've done it at all is remarkable. <laughs> so hats off to you in that and just going for it, touring and being in hair. And if you were in hair, I know you can sing. So that's a beautiful thing. What would you say is the gift that you've been given that hits your hits you to your core? Like that's the thing that you feel is attached to your purpose. I don't know if it's attached to my purpose. That's for me so hard to say because, and I know people that know what their purpose is. And I really cannot say that I do. I like to connect and talk I love culture I mean I love finding out about you know people in remote places and because what I know having traveled and everything I, you know because when you're in Europe you travel a lot like I was in Africa and Asia you know you then you then people here so I've mm -hmm. and I, I what I know is that everyone people I'm saying I don't care where they are everyone wants a good education for their kids a good pair of jeans and a pair of tennis shoes or you know so their kids are warm or cool or whatever and they have a good meal they want to have good friends and um a nice place to live what i know is that people are the same and i'm always kind of 
curious and I connect with people from wherever very easily. And they're also, they, they, they um, migrate toward me. They, I, I attract them. That's, that's a beautiful thing. I'm so glad you said that because oftentimes when it comes to purpose or what you do well, um, I think that we as people think that it has to be some grandioso thing and your purpose can be as something as simple as um, connection, like you said, or for me, my purpose is to serve. And uh, when I realized that I literally thought it meant to serve. So I became a waiter. I was like, oh, I'm supposed to serve. And it was a great lesson in learning how to take care of a person or take care of a group of people. And then I realized that on a broader spectrum and even a small scale, you can still do that same thing in your everyday life. That's right. You know, so um, I think that's beautiful. I think Mm -hmm. that's beautiful what you just said. Hopefully uh, other people will see that their purpose on earth doesn't have to be something that the world knows. It may be meant for an intimate group of people that you get to meet. So tell me this, we were talking about traveling. You have traveled. You have a lot of stamps on your passport. Of all the places you've traveled, I know you mentioned Cuba, but what's the place that leaves the largest impact on your soul? I think Kenya, Cuba and Kenya. You've been to Africa, yes. I've been to Senegal, so yes, but I have never been to Kenya. So tell me why Kenya and why Cuba? Um, you know, I don't know if it's a temperature or whatever, but, you know, you just get this, especially I got it when I got off the plane in Kenya, this warmth, because it's a little touristy. When you get off the plane, they have a group of dancers, you know, they are husking around and dancing and singing and they're doing it for the tourists because they want money but it's mm-hmm. not their traditional thing it's what they do you can smell them because they're sweating and there's yeah. also this um smell of some sweet uh plant like in the air and and um it was just it was really interesting they have an, a, a muslim and a christian population mm-hmm. and um when we would go out in the bus, the Christian kids would run, run um, alongside the bus. Sometimes, you know, you'd ride for an hour or so or two to get to where we're going. And they would say, boom, 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 you know, for candy, candy. And, you know, the tourists throw candy at them. And the Muslim kids, you would see a house and the parents were there and they were standing very proudly on the stoop of their house like, Telling that kid, if you go there, I wouldn't, you know, they're not running after the trucks. They're, you know, demonstratively saying, we, we don't, we, our kids don't run after candy buses. Um, so just to see that, that divide. Also, we met a group of Kenyans. I was there with my son and my boyfriend at the time, my partner, actually, he was a partner. And we were hanging out with a woman that goes, a Swiss woman that goes to Kenya often, I guess. She always has some Kenyan boyfriend or other. And we um, we went out in the evening and ordered some potato chips and Cokes and things like this. And the guys that were hanging out with us, the men, they were in their 30s. They were hungry. I mean, you know how you take a few potato chips and you sip and you're chatting 
they were trying to be polite, but they clearly, you know, they were clearly hungry. We ordered, you know, some chicken and rice and things up for them. But this struck me too, you know, people in the world are really struggling because we have so much food. Like yesterday, I mean, we ate, (laughs) you know, we have so much food that we don't realize that, you know, there really are a lot of people that are marginalized in a very basic way. Um, you know, we visited villages and, you know, hut villages. And everyone knows that when you go to Africa, you know, they're, they're, there's this um, group of people in Kenya called the Maasai. Mm-hmm. You've heard, they're very tall. And yes. They guard the forests. And um, uh, we went to some of their villages and, they're really, really struggling. They don't have a lot of food. Their soil looks very unfertile and dry and the kids are skinny and they just don't have food, you know? They yeah. Don't food. So that was, uh, so Africa, I would say Africa. That's the same in Cuba too, but not as extreme. Did you see any areas of, because uh, I've been, I've only been to uh, Senegal and in Senegal, I saw some poverty, but I also saw extreme wealth. So yes. I saw both sides. Did you see both sides in Kenya as well? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And the gates are high around these houses. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I think it's great for us. For It was great for me to see that what the television shows me is not the, the the black struggle of of the world um, it's not the only part and um, that it's it's it was great for me to see that with my own eyes which I already knew in the first place yeah. I mean yeah. we weren't in Nairobi or you know some of the major cities where a lot of wealthy people live and you know there is a lot of wealth no but there is a lot of wealth in Africa I think it's also valid the point that you're making as well or, or what you're sharing about the children and the grown men, and like you said, the, the huge divide. I feel like we as Americans in this country, we don't, uh, we have the least amount of passports in the world, you know, in all the other countries. Like you said, we don't travel like that. So only thing we see is what the world or the, those who own broadcast networks want us to see. And I think it's so important to to get out and to go to other countries and to see the, the full picture. Would you say the same? Oh, yes, absolutely. I really agree. I agree that there is wealth in Africa and uh, that we remind ourselves that there is. But we also have to remind ourselves that there is hunger. I forget that, honestly, you know, because it's promoted. Oh, come on, you know, they're doing really well in the Nigerians. Blah, blah, blah. And that's true. But we also have to remember that you know, you know, we forget how fortunate we are. We yeah. just take it for granted and moan and groan because we can't have this, that, and the other thing. And um, I think that I remind my, it was interesting to me because it did show me because I hadn't seen that level of, of you know, of need. I yeah. saw it in Cuba too, but I really saw it in Africa. Because we don't experience it, just as you said. It's not something we experience. Yeah, and we like to promote, and I think it's rightly so. Look, we Africans are doing fine. They are, you know, wealthy, and there are very wealthy Africans, but it's not the majority. Yeah, we still need to be mindful of that and Mm -hmm. 
help and to right right that's the other part like what's the answer how can we make sure we need to make sure whoever we choose to donate money to is getting it to the people you're absolutely right Kristen. Yeah. I, you know i don't have that answer and i probably need to do my investigation too i do too i do too but you know what i think it's the conversations like this sola that that gets the ball rolling. Suddenly it's, it's, it's the seed that's planted. And then it's the work that follows because Absolutely. once we say it, it can't leave us until we do what we're supposed to do. And it could be, you know, the, your, your uh, purpose in mind, the connection and the, um, and the service, you know, and we connect to uh, maybe Africans here that are doing well. And you know what I mean? Yeah, Absolutely. So, <laughs> now thank you for this conversation absolutely i want to know about cuba tell me about cuba why did cuba hit you in your in your uh soul oh okay now that was a long time ago that was before the berlin wall fell which meant that cuba was you know there was the soviet union was still intact that meant that they were getting money and, and money from you know some of the other communist countries mm-hmm so it, they were doing pretty well. They had food and everything. It was, you know, Cuba was, Cuba's off the chain about, I don't have any, anything else to say about it. It's just like the music, the people, the, you know, it's really a lively, wonderful place to live. You know, the folks, again, it is communist. And, um, you know, people, the, the um, wealth is distributed really poorly. And there is uh, a lot of despair because, I mean, you know, not really. They are despair. They're able to turn those lemons into the most delicious lemonade you've ever had. Yeah. Because they know how to live in the midst of what they don't have. Right. And it was my first time being, I didn't speak Spanish, so I was kind of in the dark. I don't like to be somewhere. I don't, you know, know what's being said. Okay, by the time I stayed for a month. Mm. So it was, yeah, you know, did speak a bit Spanish, quite decent by the time I left. But, um, you know, also, you know, I was stopped every day about ten times because I'm black, and they wanted to know why I was in this taxi or why was I in this hotel because the Cubans aren't allowed to go to those places. Um, wow. You know, and I could easily show my passport, but <clears throat> I was thinking about, you know, the Cubans that aren't able to you know, do things in their own country. And that's kind of, but, you know, it wasn't only that. It's, it's uh, you know, like I said, they're super lively. They make music and food and dance and have dreams. And, you know, it's, it's a lovely, lovely uh, culture. And, um, you know, and then there's an interesting part of the Santeria. I had a, hadn't seen that site, that religion. It was really interesting to see that um, the dance. And I had taken Haitian dance in uh, New York. And I had seen, the, you know, they, they get possessed during the dances. And so there's a similar um, type of thing in uh, the Cuban Santeria. You've heard of it, of course. Yes, yes, I have. I, I, Cuba is definitely on my list. Um, oh to go it is wow it is I, wow the, the dance but i mean you know the, just the the love of the cultural part of it is it's really really something that you need to experience and the food i can't wait <laughs> well 
Zola, I have a question, and this will be close to our ending for our interview today. If there was one thing you want people to take away from meeting you, what would it be? That's a tough one. You know, that I was um, transparent and honest. You know, that's about all. I don't know, you know, uh, that when you meet someone that you say, oh, yeah, she was really cool. You know, everyone is not going to like you. That's not a goal. But to uh, be transparent and honest and and get some sort of uh, real feeling of who I am, even if it's a short meeting. Yeah. You know, I would add to that, um, that, yeah, totally transparent and honest and motivational. You just motivated me just to say yes more. All right now. about that yeah that's what thank you you're very um easy to talk to you pull all of that excitement because you know of course when you do an interview or someone asks you to do an interview it's always always a little nervous I'm like oh goodness I hope we don't stall the conversation is not stale and you know but you really know how to pose those questions and with your warmth and your like you, you play it by ear as well. You know, you someone drops a little, uh, a little something, a nibble, and you pick it up and and run with it. And yeah, that's that's nice. Thank you, thank you so much, Zola. I'll say it probably comes from me liking people. People have stories to tell that I want to hear, and it's not going to do anything but enrich my life. I'm grateful. Mm. I'm grateful. Thank you so much for giving us your time. I always give my guest a a round of applause. (laughs) All right. I appreciate you, Zola. I could talk to you for hours and I hope that we can continue to talk off the recording um, just in life. You're a person who has a lot of knowledge that I want to, um, I want to, I want to have some of yours. So I appreciate you. Absolutely. Have a great day and the great rest of this um, holiday weekend. Thank you so much. And thank you all listeners for listening to another episode of POV with Kristen Gilmore. Catch you next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us for another episode of POV with Kristen Gilmore. See you next time. Bye. Huh?